book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my eight-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series, and we recap the books chapter by chapter. Speaking of chapters, we left off on chapter 32, Out of the Fire. Harry had just been literally grabbed out of a fire. He was trying to escape through a fireplace in Dolores Umbridge's office. And she ripped him out of it and interrogated him with her inquisitorial squad. Right? Yes. What happened after that? Hermione came up with a quick plan. She said, tell her, Harry, tell her all about it. Um, um, and Harry, um, um, then thinks, what does she mean, tell her all about it? Then Hermione um, says, says to Umbridge... Um, we've been making a weapon for Dumbledore or something. Yeah, so Umbridge thinks there's a Dumbledore's army is a real army, that it's going to try and overthrow the ministry, and that now that she is confirmed in her suspicions through a lie, that there is a secret weapon. But really, it's just a uh, excuse to get Umbridge uh, away from the Inquisitorial squad, and possibly Hermione has thought far enough ahead to what she actually wants to happen to Umbridge. We find out quickly... As Umbridge leads Harry and Hermione and no one else into the Forbidden Forest. She doesn't take her Inquisitorial squad. She doesn't take any backup. Yeah, she wants to bring the Inquisitorial squad, but then Harry and Hermione convince her not to. She doesn't, uh, and, and she doesn't take any of the other kids either. So it's, it's just the three of them. Uh, they're, they're walking through the forest for a very long time. And who do they happen upon? About 50 what? Um, centaurs. Yeah, the centaurs in the Harry Potter universe are not... Very nice. They're probably nice. They're not friendly with humans. They're mistreated by humans, and so they don't trust humans. Now, we we know that centaurs are at least as intelligent as humans and and probably uh, able to use some sort of magic of their own uh, because Harry is being taught divination by a centaur right now named Frenzy. But a different centaur uh, starts questioning Umbridge in the forest. Do you remember his name? No. It's Magorian. All their names are so confusing. And Magorian wants to know what they're doing in the forest. Does Umbridge take him seriously or treat him with respect? Um, neither. Correct. Yeah, she just she's like, whatever. We got to go. Centaur, you are uh, essentially an animal, and we would like to. Be on our way with our important human wizard business. That does not work out so well. First of all, she tries to cast a spell on them. What does she do to the centaur? Um, actually, first she says, filthy half-breeds. Yeah, something like that. So what does she do to the centaurs? Um, she shoots a spell at them, and I think it was stupefy. Uh, I know she sends an incarceress, which ties them up in ropes. Oh. And then she tries to stun them, and she's overpowered. By all these centaurs, she's certainly got a lot of confidence being one witch alone in the woods against 50 centaurs, even if she thought they were animals. 
what what 50 horse human sized animals would you want to make mad in the scary woods? I'm not sure what her where all of her confidence was coming from there. She might have assumed they were incapable of fighting against her her spells or something. I don't know. But they certainly uh, bested her quickly, carried her off into the woods. And there's another centaur named Ronan. And he says that uh, Harry and Hermione will not be harmed because they are foals, which means young horses. Uh, but the other centaurs don't agree. It seems like there is about to be more danger than who should show up. Um, then I believe that Grop shows up. Here comes Grop. Grop is probably confused, probably doesn't know what's going on. He does recognize Hermione. He's asking for Hagrid, but the centaurs don't take too kindly for him. So what happens? Um, they start shooting their crossbows at the, at him. Yeah, but being a giant, crossbows don't really have any effect on Grop. They're more of an annoyance, right? It's, yeah, it's mostly just, like, getting a cut. Yeah, so he just kind of swatting the arrows away, but they kind of start fighting. In the fracas that ensues, uh, Umbridge is run off with the centaurs against her will, and Grop is fighting the other centaurs. Harry and Hermione just escape. <laughs> um, Ginny, Luna, Ron, and Neville appear. They had somehow escaped the Inquisitorial squad. Uh, I think they just used regular, like, stunning spells and disarming charms, which means of the of the students involved there, who had the advantage? And why? Hmm. Between Ginny, Luna, Ron, and Neville, and the whole big bad Inquisitorial squad, why did Ginny, Luna, Ron, and Neville have the upper hand? Hmm. Probably because Umbridge was not there. That might be part of it, but what have they been doing this year that might make them better at oh, disarming other wizards? They've been in the DA mostly all the all, all year, um, and um, and they've been learning a lot, and it's really good. Yeah, they know how to take care of themselves. So, is as mean and imposing as these you know nasty Slytherin kids are. That, that Umbridge has picked to be her enforcers, they're not actually good at anything other than being mean and intimidating when it comes down to actually, you know, wizard dueling or defensing against dark arts. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't have anything to back up their attitudes. Um, one of the best, um, one of the things that Malfoy it, um, is um, the best at is, um, is also bragging. Yeah, and so and he's, making fun of people. We, we never even get a good impression throughout the entire series. Really, we will learn a lot more about Malfoy, especially in the next book. But you never get a good sense of what kind of student he really is. If he's actually good at anything in Hogwarts, um, not even to say that he's bad, just that they never really go into much detail. I think he's. I mean, we know that he buys his way onto the Quidditch team. And other than that, we don't really know how well he does in any of his classes or if he just kind of skates by on his father's wealth and their name. I would assume it's the latter. Uh, they all escape. That means the last thing I said, which is oh. that he uses his name and his wealth. They all escape uh, using what method? How do they fly away? Um, um, Thestrals. And still at this point, 
Luna and Harry are the only ones that can see them. Yeah. So everyone else just kind of agrees, Wait. I guess I'm on a Thestral. Actually, Neville can see oh, them Oh, Neville too. too. That's right. Uh, so it's Ginny and Ron, who would be flying, and Hermione, yeah. who would be flying something invisible that they can't. And they're all like, comprehend. What? That's got to be weird. Uh, they're going to go to the ministry. Their goal is to rescue Sirius, because as far as Harry knows... Sirius is in the ministry being tortured. Yeah. When they get to the ministry, it's completely empty. The desk where the guards should be is empty. Doors are unlocked. Does that seem like that would be normal in a very important, very secretive building? No, um, and there are no guards in there, so that makes them kind of suspicious. They should be. Uh, they should not be able to walk. They get to that phone booth that leads into the ministry and Harry tells them the code to put in, which spells out magic. It's something two, four, four, two or something like that. But, uh, it spells out magic and, and they can just go straight in. Even in the muggle world, government buildings are locked at night and certainly guarded during the day. If a wizard government building is this easy to break into, I'd be pretty suspicious as to who's been there before me. So that's a little bit odd. That's it's certainly a cause for concern. Uh, this building, they quickly go to the department of mysteries and this is a crazy place. Everything they encounter is super odd. Uh, what is they, I know they come to a room with a bunch of doors. What's some of the stuff they encounter in this big circular room full of doors. Um, um, so the, um, the room spins, either the floor or the walls spin. Or both. Or it's both, magic. Yeah. Who knows what's actually happening? Um, and then once it stops, um, before it starts spinning again, they have to pick a door. So he remembers that in his dream, he would go to the one directly, um, directly across from him. So hopefully this is where it's landed uh, for him to go to the right place. But they they try a bunch of doors. They do not find the right place immediately. No. And they look through one door. They see an archway with a veil. They look through another door and they see. Um, I think it's a pool of brains. They do see a bunch of floating brains. Uh, there's another door where they see like sparkling diamonds. Um, um, there's another door where they have. Um, actually, one um, one of the doors is locked, and Harry tries to get it open with um, with the pin knife that Sirius gave him, mm-hmm. and then in, um, and then when he pulls the knife back out, it's melted. Oh yeah, yeah, and. The room with the veil, Harry is staring into it, and he thinks he hears voices from behind the veil, and he kind of goes into a trance. Luna snaps him out of it. They, uh, there's another room. Let's see. What was it? Um, dancing. Di- yeah, the one with the diamonds, like dancing diamonds, sparkling light is, is how they described it. There are clocks gleaming on every surface. Uh, there's a towering quick crystal bell jar. At the far end of the room. And inside that, they see tiny uh, jewel eggs, which open, and a hummingbird emerges. And then it, like, dies immediately and goes back into an egg. Yeah, what? I mean, we know this is mysteries, but these entire rooms, what do you think's happening? Because they don't tell us. What What do you think is happening in these rooms during the day? 
Probably a lot of really weird and creepy experiments. I'm guessing experiments. This seems right to me. It seems like this is sort of their version of a science, science lab. They're trying to figure out maybe the brains are real brains they're studying. They're trying to figure out how brains work. I don't know. Um, this is not the part where the brains do stuff yet. Okay, so Harry recognizes the door. Oh, have they done the thing yet where Hermione has to mark one of the doors with a big red X? Not yet, I don't think. Let me see if I can uh, find it. That must not be now. Um, so they, they finally, Harry recognizes a door, and this is the room with the 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 hummingbird, I guess, that comes out of the egg, turns back into an egg. They go through that, and they, Harry recognizes another door they need to go through. When they get in there, there is an enormous hall. They say it's the size of a church. And shelves, as far as the eye can see, what's on these shelves? Um, a lot. Um, to them, it looks like a lot of really tiny snow globes. Yeah, but it's crystal balls, crystal and they're balls. all labeled. And it- some are glowing, some are dark. Harry remembers from his dream that he has to go to a particular row. Do you remember which one? Row 97. Something is important there. He's got to go to row 97. At the end of that row, what is he what is he expecting to find? Um, I'm not sure. He's expecting to find Sirius. Oh, yeah. This is where he expects the torture to be taking place. Instead, Ron looks on the shelf and sees a label with Harry's name on it. Yeah, it says from something SPT SPT and AD something. From SPT to APWBD. Dark Lord. And question mark Harry Potter. Correct. Uh, Hermione and Neville warn Harry not to touch it, but he still takes the orb. A voice starts coming out of the uh, orb, but before they can hear it, uh, another, or actually no, I don't think it's even started yet. Harry hears a voice behind him that says, turn around and give it to me. Don't think it's Voldemort. No, not yet. Chapter 35. Is that where we were? 34, Department of Mysteries. 33, Fight and Flight. So chapter 35, Beyond the Veil. Sounds creepy. (laughs) In the room that they're in, uh, which I don't know if they they explain, but we, we do know that these are all prophecies. These are each one of these orbs is a prophecy that was made by some sort of person doing divination. One thing they never explain is do these prophecies have to be put into orbs and then placed on the shelf or every single time someone makes a prophecy, does it just appear on the shelf? Who knows? Makes no sense. What do you think would be a good explanation for why some of the prophecies are, Glowing and some of them are dull. Um, there are two, um, there are two things, um, I have theories about. Um, one of them, um, um, one of them is that, um, the bright ones are for people that are still alive, and the dull ones are for people who have prophecies made about them, but they're dead. Okay. Or that the bright ones are for good wizards, and the dark ones are for bad ones. Interesting. Um, they do not explain, so either of those things could be true. I think it might be something like 
the bright ones are ones that are still possibly going to come true. And the dark ones are ones that either already passed and came true or perhaps passed and did not come true or are unlikely to come true. You know, maybe there are bad prophecies. What do you think? Maybe. So when they turn around to see who is speaking to them, who are they confronted with in this hall of prophecy spheres? Um, Lucius, Bellatrix, and um, various other Death Eaters. Yeah, it's a bunch of Death Eaters, bad guys. Uh, this is our first real glimpse at Bellatrix Lestrange. And this is the first time since the uh, the graveyard since we've seen Lucius Malfoy as a Death Eater. He yeah. sort of lives his double life as a citizen and an evil servant well, of the Dark Lord. A mean citizen. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, it's not illegal to be mean. <laughs> but it might be illegal to be, at least in the Wizarding World, to be teamed up with Voldemort. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bellatrix is threatening Ginny. Harry's, what does Harry say he's going to do with the prophecy if they keep threatening his friends? Uh, he he um, runs in front of Ginny says you'll have to break this to get to her yeah and and i think harry has figured out by now this is the thing you want and it's got a prophecy about me if i destroy it i bet you can never get that prophecy for whatever reason dumbledore wants that prophecy right voldemort yeah voldemort wants that prophecy uh harry says voldemort in his talking with bellatrix and she says how dare you speak his name She's pretty hardcore. She's uh, not like Lucius, where Lucius thinks being on Dumbledore's side... Voldemort's. I keep saying Dumbledore. Lucius thinks being on Voldemort's side will be good for him. Bellatrix worships Voldemort like a god. So there is a difference in their levels of commitment to Voldemort, to say the least. Uh, Some fighting ensues. Um, Malfoy asks Dum- asks Harry if Dumbledore ever told him the reason for his scar is hidden in the Department of Mysteries, perhaps in that prophecy. I think he is trying to sow seeds of distrust between Harry and Dumbledore, right? He's trying to say, like, why would he keep this a secret from you, you know? But he does explain the plan. Um, and he explains why Harry has to retrieve the prophecy and give it to Voldemort. What was the reasoning behind that? Um, are you saying, um, are you asking why they couldn't do it themselves? Right. Even though they knew okay. where it was, why couldn't they get it? Because only the people that the prophecies were made for can um, can pick it up the off the shelf, but once it's actually off the shelf, other people, like anyone in the world, can touch it as long as it's already off the shelf. And who can take it off the shelf? Um, um, Voldemort and Harry. The person it's made about. Now, Voldemort didn't do it himself because that would confirm to the ministry that he was back. And the ministry so far does not believe he's back. He tried to get Sturgis Podmore to do it and Broderick Bode. And these are our people we've referenced in the in, earlier in the book. Sturgis Podmore was the guy in the hospital, right? 
No, Bode was the guy in the hospital. Who's Podmore? Podmore is the guard. Oh, okay. So either way, he's tried to trick other people, and, and it turns out it doesn't work. And they've ended up, you know, not so great off because of Voldemort's interference. I think they either got electrocuted or there was a spell, like, hidden inside the prophecy or something. Well, Harry tells his friends, you know, we got to fight. So they start shooting curses everywhere, and there's prophecy spheres blowing up left and right. There's a lot of damage going on. Uh, They're running away, and Harry is caught on the shoulder by one of the the Death Eaters, and Hermione stupefies him, and they're just kind of going back and forth and back and forth. You've got another guy. You've got Bellatrix. You've got Rodolphus. Crab. Obviously, Crab's father. Who's Rodolphus? No idea. (laughs) Another guy named Rabastan or Abastan. McNair, we've heard of a bunch. Uh, And Avery and Rookwood. Someone else named Mulciber. So... There's there's more probably more Death Eaters than we've seen in the past. The interesting thing here is that the kids are able to fight them off seemingly easily. I mean, it probably doesn't seem easily to them, but n- the, none of the Death Eaters take out any of the kids, and they immediately go to killing curses. Uh, there's there's some Avadas with no cadavers heard every once in a while, and. Uh, so they're shooting killing curses at the kids, but they're they're defeating them with the defensive charms they've learned in the DA, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, Harry's a really good teacher. It, it, it also it might mean that Voldemort's not a great teacher. Like like they might be kind of like Malfoy. They just kind of sit around talking about how great they are. Voldemort has power, but do we know yet if all of his followers do or if they're just Losers, you know, we don't know. Um, so they're fighting and fighting and fighting. Uh, they start running back through the rooms, I believe, right? Uh, yes. This is the part where they do the X's. And so they want to, they get to the, um, Neville breaks his wand, which makes him sad because it was his father's wand. Somebody gets Petrificus Totalist, I can't remember who. And they go through the room with the lights again. They get back to the... Actually, I think they um, they go into that room, and then they hide under the table, Harry and Hermione. Let's see. He sees a cabinet that shatters and repairs itself again. Oh, and it, it contains time turners. That gets smashed, I believe. So I think they found the room where all the time turners are stored, and they may have actually destroyed all the time turners which would be bad, I'm sure, for the ministry. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how easy it is to make a new one. And they had they actually had already marked the doors. That's right. Oh. They had marked the doors they tried because they wanted to figure out which doors... Because every time they tried one, it spun again. And they don't want to go back through the door that they already went through. But this time they see that the marks have faded, so they just have to choose a new door. Uh, for some reason, Ron is giggling... And Ginny's ankle is broken. And I think I think they were... Like, yeah. the giggling might be from a curse from one of the Death Eaters. Yeah, it was. And he's acting all weird, like, Oh, Harry, look, this is weird. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of acting goofy. They go into a room full of giant planets. It seems like maybe this is where they study space. Maybe they can kind of project themselves into space or something. Maybe. Uh, that would be, you know, pretty neat way to go about it. We have to use... 
telescopes and probes, seems like they can maybe just kind of fly their minds out there and, and see the planets and whatnot. <laughs> uh, they're going to another door, and then three Death Eaters arrive, led by Bellatrix. They get through the door just in time, and they're in the brain room. What happens to Ron in the brain room? Ron, since he's acting all weird and giggly and stuff, he doesn't really re- remember anything. So he's like, oh, Harry, look, it's a bunch of floating brains. I'm going to touch what I bet it feels weird. Yeah. And what happens when he picks it up? He's like, wait, no, no I don't like this. Stop it. Because um, cause the brain um, is like it unfolds and starts wrapping around his arm. Yeah, there's sort of tendrils coming out of the bottom of it, like squid uh, brain arms, thingies. <laughs> and they start wrapping around him. So Ron is down for the count here. He's acting goofy, and he's being attacked by a brain. Do they get the brain off of him at this point, or just leave him there? I think they try and do it, but then the brain goes for them, too. Um, so they're like, um, so they have to leave because Death Eaters are coming, and then eventually someone says um, that Ron is fighting off the brains pretty good. We should point out that obviously Harry did not find Sirius being tortured. And without explaining how or using what method, I think Malfoy does tell him, you know, we tricked you. He's not here, idiot. <laughs> um, he's not... I think Harry just thinks, okay, well, we're totally on our own. They run into the archway room again that has the archway with the veil. And then the whole, what do you call them, order of the Phoenix shows up. Kingsley, Shacklebolt, Tonks, Moody, Sirius, and Lupin show up and they're ready to fight. The adults now and the kids are fighting the Death Eaters at this point. Still no sign of Voldemort. More serious. No, Sirius is there. Oh, yeah. Sirius shows up with Lupin. Right, right, right. And they're all just casting spells left and right, shooting each other, dodging spells, etc., etc. Um, Bellatrix and Sirius are fighting, I believe. Yeah, they definitely start fighting. Um, there's just tons of action. Everyone's uh, shooting spells at each other. Neville gets hit with a weird curse that makes his legs go all wonky. I think... Uh, I think it's like a dancing curse sort of. Something. I, w- I would try something a bit harsher if I was fighting for my life, but whatever. I'm, you know, I guess we don't want Neville to die. Uh, Neville grabs Hermione's wand and pokes out a Death Eater's eye. There's uh, green flashes flying past uh, everybody. Sirius almost gets hit with a green flash, which we know is a killing curse. So this is serious stuff. Neville uh, catches the... Prophecy. Prophecy from Harry. Harry tosses it to him just as he's about to get tackled by a Death Eater. Neville puts it in his robe, but then what happens to it? Um, um, his robe is ripped, so it just falls, um, so it just falls onto the floor. And? Um, and I believe this is where it gets smashed. It smashes. And a figure rises out of the smashed prophecy how do they describe this figure? What's interesting about the eyes? I think the eyes are just like pale white. No, they mention that they're huge and magnified. Oh. And it's a figure of a woman and it's a figure of a woman. She rises out of the prophecy. 
Yeah, they don't say who it is, but they they give a you know description of her eyes, and it's a female figure. So the prophecy begins to recite itself. But, but can there, anyone hear it? There's so much commotion, no one can hear what it's saying. At this point, only uh, Bellatrix and Sirius are still fighting. Dumbledore shows up. Death Eaters start trying to flee, but Dumbledore doesn't let them. He pulls them back. He yanks them from their escape. Sirius is fighting with Bellatrix. Bellatrix and seems to almost enjoy it. Like, these are the good old days. You know, he's he's enthusiastic about what he's doing. And just as he is in the thick of it, uh, not really seeming to be afraid at all, he seems pretty fearless at this point. Uh, what happens to him? Um, he gets hit um, by a curse from Bellatrix. I don't remember what curse it was, but um, he gets n- knocked in the air, and then on the archway, he falls through the veil. And then Harry gets super worried. He's like, serious, serious. But he, f- he falls through one side of the arch, but he doesn't come out the other side. No. He's just gone. Harry That's- thinks he can run in after him, but Lupin stops him. What does he say? He, We can't get him, Harry. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. Now, the interesting thing here is... I've never really been sure if Bellatrix actually killed Sirius with a killing curse. Or if he just, or or she just knocked him back. Or if she knocked him through the veil, and that veil is obviously the veil between life and death. And that just by passing through it, you are essentially leaving life and walking into death. Certainly, uh, Lupin tells Harry not to go through it. Yes, I believe that it's the second thing. I think they explain that later. They explain it, but I don't know if they say that that Bellatrix's curse was a killing curse or not. Uh, I'm pretty sure in the movie it is. But anyway, it wouldn't really matter because he's still dead. It would matter to me because it it would let me know, did she murder him? Or did she push him through a gate that killed him? I mean, there's a slight difference. Obviously, you're not supposed to like Bellatrix at all, but it'd be more interesting to me to know if he was actually murdered by her or if he died because of something she did. Either way, he's dead. And it's poignant that Lupin is the one that tells this to Harry. Uh, First of all, what does this mean for Harry now that Sirius is dead? Um, pretty bad stuff, because that's the closest thing to a real family he's ever had. It means he's never going to have a wizard family until he makes one of his own. You're right. He has lost his parents, he has no other living relatives, and his godfather is now dead. He does not have the opportunity to have any more uh, real family members in his life. He will likely never spend time with a wizard father figure at a home. He will always be... Unless he's at, like, the Weasleys for the summer or something. Yeah, but we've established that that's not how he feels about the Weasleys. He feels that they are his extended family, but he doesn't look up to Mr. Weasley and Mrs. Weasley as a mom and dad. He... It's it's been said before that he looked at Sirius as both a brother and a father, 
because he was like trying to be a cool guy and be his friend. But that's his last shot. Now, sort of the same situation for Lupin. What does this mean for Lupin in terms of how many friends he has left on the earth? It's bad stuff because he has um, basically no best friends. What are the, what are the fates? He's had three best friends in his life. What are, what are what are each of their fates? One um one of them is a de- is um is a death eater. So he might as well be dead. Um, one of them was killed, and um the other one was killed just a few minutes ago. Yeah. So. Everything he knew as a young man that he clung to, everything that he held dear is gone. He's got a life now, but this this marks the death of probably a better a better time in his life that all started to go bad because of that one friend who was a Death Eater who set all of these events in motion. So it, it's very so- somber for both of them. Um, chapter 36 the only one he ever feared, Harry refuses to believe that... Sirius is dead. Sirius is dead. Dumbledore has immobilized all the remaining Death Eaters. They can't move. They're all tied up. Moody is trying to revive Tonks. Kingsley runs after Bellatrix. It seems like maybe the fight is over. Bellatrix escapes, and Dumbledore tries to take her out, but she knocks his spell away. Harry goes after her through the room with the brains. What does Harry want now? I'm guessing he wants to essentially kill Bellatrix. He wants revenge, and he thinks killing Bellatrix is what he needs to do. This is one of the times where Harry's like, I want to kill this person. They killed somebody that I like and essentially love. Um, um, But that doesn't mean that he's going to actually do it well he he thinks he is he's he's probably convinced himself that that is the thing he needs all 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 he feels right now is rage he's he's lost his only father figure and he he's just mad he just wants to stop feeling that way and he thinks killing bellatrix is the way to do it he chases her and she's kind of tossing his spells away she also tries to hit him with a crucio, but misses and blows up a wizard fountain statue. They're they're exchanging curses as she runs, and Bellatrix gives Harry one last chance to Give hand over the prophecy. prophecy. But she doesn't know that it's been smashed yet. Yeah, I guess not everybody saw that. Harry tells her the prophecy is destroyed, but then all of a sudden his scar lights up in pain. We normally know what that means. What's going on now? That Voldemort is, um, is he's either feeling Voldemort's emotions again or um, that Voldemort is near him. And Bellatrix is afraid. She knows that Voldemort is going to be really mad that she didn't retrieve the prophecy. She thinks Harry's lying and tries to use an Accio prophecy. And it doesn't retrieve anything. She so. says it like three times and and then she's like, Oh, he's actually telling the truth. Voldemort pops up. He's here. He he appears in the middle of the hall. He tries to do the killing curse on Harry. He's he's like, forget it. Here we are. I could have killed you before, and I wasted time being all 
showy. Now I'm just going to do it. He shoots a Nevada cadaver at Harry. Uh, do you remember how Harry is sta- saved? I believe that the the statues around them come alive. Yeah, one of them with no head jumps between Harry and Voldemort and blocks the spell. And then there's a goblin, and then the other thing I don't remember. Now, who has animated these statues? Dumbledore, I believe. Dumbledore shows up. It's He's finally here to fight. We've now got Harry and potentially the two most powerful wizards in the world in the same room. One of them being the most powerful good wizard and one of them being the most powerful evil wizard. So... To say that it's an epic battle is an understatement. Uh, they they begin sort of a duel of the best of the best. <laughs> Do you remember any of the things that they try and pull on each other? Um, I believe that um, Voldemort tries to do a few of the illegal curses, but Dumbledore reflects them. One of the first things Dumbledore does is brings more statues to life. One of them pins Bellatrix to the floor... And the other one goes um, to Harry. Yeah, that one guards Harry. It's a big golden statue. Uh, these are these were the statues of sort of like magical cooperation. So there's like a goblin, a house elf, a human, and like a giant maybe. I think the giant might be what's protecting Harry. Uh, we explain all of this later. And a uh, one of them had to be a wizard. Maybe it's the wizard protecting Harry that doesn't have a head. But, dumb, you know, Voldemort tries to, like, shoot giant snake fire at Dumbledore, and he deflects it, and then v- Voldemort tries to shatter all the glass in the room, and it flies at Dumbledore, and he turns it into sand. I think that happens in the book. I know it happens in the movie. He... All the while, making sure that Harry is staying behind this statue i think harry is still kind of intent on fighting right yeah but he's dumbledore he's got some explaining to do but at this point he's just concerned about fighting off voldemort and keeping harry safe he hasn't yet explained where he's been this whole book and why he's been ignoring harry but he's here now and he's hoping i guess that that's good enough just trust me let me do my thing. Um, it, it's kind of hard to explain everything they do. But there's uh, at one point, uh, I think Voldemort is encased in a ball of water. What? By Dumbledore or vice versa. I know there's a big water ball at one point. And... Voldemort disappears. The water falls down. Dumbledore tells Harry to stay where he is. And he, for a moment, looks frightened. This is not a look that he's seen. Of Dumbledore. On Dumbledore, yeah. It's it's not normal for Dumbledore to look frightened. And since I haven't read the book in so long, mostly I'm remembering the movie. I think instead of turning glass into sand, they turn it into like a big ball of molten glass in the book, too. So there's some differences, but it's just it's this huge epic battle that's just destroying the building around them. And they're none of their spells are small, right? No, they're all the biggest, most 
flashy and destructive and or protective things they can think of. They don't have any stupefies or expelliarmuses. Yeah, they're not going to mess with any of that nonsense. Also, it should be pointed out that neither of them need to say their spells when even many of the adult wizards still do. So they, they do all of their spells just with intent and hand movements and wand movements and whatnot. Um, Harry's scar burns in pain worse than he's ever felt in his life. Like white hot. And then what comes out of Harry at this point? I believe that he feels himself dying, and in a few seconds, um, he's, I guess, like, in the fire snake or something? He's possessed. No, what comes out of him is Voldemort's voice. He's possessed by, by Voldemort at this point. I thought he was in something else at this point. Uh, he says he's fused together with the creature with red eyes, bound by pain, is is the quote from the book there. So, okay. and he says when the creature speaks, it uses Harry's mouth, but it's not it's not a creature; it's Voldemort. And he says, "Kill him! If death is nothing, Dumbledore, kill the boy." So he's saying, uh, "If you're not afraid of death, because you're not afraid of me killing you, then why be afraid of Harry's death?" And perhaps. Kill me while I'm in Harry, if you're so bold. But just kill him. Get it over with. They'll kill... Um, Dumbledore will be killing both of them, so... Harry is sort of losing his mind at this point and thinks to himself, yeah, let... I, I want this pain to stop. You should probably kill us. I don't... I don't like having pain I don't want to be. I don't want to be alive like this anymore. I... C- Uh, I could be a ghost. I would still be around people. He actually thinks to himself, I'll get to see Sirius again. Because he's going to be a ghost. What happens when he starts thinking about Sirius? I don't remember. He starts to have warm feelings of emotion about Sirius at this point. And then Voldemort is no longer able to contain him. He's he's having feelings of love and affection for Sirius. And so the the spirit of Voldemort is is driven out of him like and the pain is gone. Out of him. Yeah, the duel is over at this point. Uh Harry's fine for you know, he's probably a little worse for the wear, but he's fine. And now the atrium is completely full of people. I think they're I, I believe they're all still in their pajamas. They've been woken from sleep. And the statues are leading them in. It's especially Cornelius Fudge. One of the guys there says to Fudge that he saw Voldemort grabbing a woman and disapparating. Fudge says he saw it too. Dumbledore tells Fudge and the Aurors that have shown up, there's more Death Eaters downstairs contained in the Death Chamber. We now know that... That was the arch that Sirius fell in. And it was the death chamber. And obviously it seems this death chamber contains perhaps the passage between life and death. The question would be, did they find that arch somewhere and put it there for safety? Or did they build the ministry around that arch to keep it safe? That's, uh, you know, 
I think worthy of another story, but we never find out. Maybe um, they um, they should have like to protect the ministry. If you actually see the outside of the ministry before you go um, before you go down into it. Um, then you could, like, build a bunch of those, um, if you build them, you could build a bunch of those chambers all around the ministry to, um, so that no criminals could be able to get in. It could be extra safety, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if it's about criminals so much as somebody figures out, hey, there's an archway that leads to the realm of the dead. Maybe we should do something about not letting people just walk through it willy-nilly. Or there might also be spells on it to protect, to keep the dead in the archway. Dumbledore says to Fudge, well, Fudge is now under the realization that he was wrong, right? Who was wrong? Fudge. He knows Voldemort is back now. He, know, he saw him himself. He's in shock. Okay, so yeah, he, be- he believes that he, him, him himself was wrong. He spent the whole year discrediting this theory. But obviously he was wrong. Voldemort is back. He was like, nope, 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 oh. Dumbledore says, I'll explain it all to you as soon as we send Harry back to Hogwarts. And he turns a piece of the statue, I think his head, into a port key. Yeah, it was the wizard statue that Dumbledore turned the... That was the statue protecting Harry. So he looks at his watch. Do you remember what's weird about Dumbledore's watch? It has like 11 or 12 hands. There's 12, yeah. It's got 12 hands. He looks at it and he says, I got 30 minutes for you, Fudge. And he (laughs) tells Harry, I'll see you in 30 minutes. Harry goes back. He, Dumbledore orders Fudge to remove Umbridge from Hogwarts and to stop the Aurors from searching for Hagrid. Hagrid's been in hiding. So Hagrid was never successfully sacked or taken away. He's been perhaps hiding in the forest. Maybe he's got some friends there. And uh, chapter... It might be a bad idea because him alone would be a bad idea because the centaurs, I guess, hate him. I don't remember. Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy. So Harry is back at Dumbledore's office. He can't stop thinking about Sirius. He can't stop thinking that it's his fault that Sirius is dead. Phineas Nigellus, the portrait of the Slytherin headmaster, is talking to Harry, and he says, you know, how'd you get in here? This room is locked to all but the true headmaster. Do you remember why that's important? No. Umbridge could never get into Dumbledore's office. Then where was her office when she was headmistress? She She made her own office. Oh. Filled it full of cat portraits and, and whatnot. Yeah, little um little kitties. But Dumbledore, no one ever got into Dumbledore's office. Now, when Dumbledore leaves with Fox, he says, I have no plans to flee or something like that. That's weird because um, Harry has been in there like two or three times before. Well, one... one prevalent theory is that Dumbledore never actually leaves Hogwarts since his office is his home that perhaps he just locked the door and stayed there because they never did they never could get in so anyway Harry gets in and he's kind of mucking about Dumbledore's office 
Dumbledore shows up through the fireplace and puts Fox back on his perch of ashes. Uh, oh, I completely left out one of the most important things of that battle. What does Fox do for Dumbledore at that point during the battle? He shows up. I don't remember what he does. Voldemort shoots a killing curse at Dumbledore and Fox eats it. That's right. He eats the curse and then swallows it. Then he dies, but then since Phoenixes can't die, he just turns into a baby again. It is safe to say that Dumbledore would probably be dead at this point if Fox hadn't shown up. There have been several occasions where Fox has shown up and saved either Harry or Dumbledore or someone else from from certain death. Yes. Uh, Phoenixes obviously have a magic that, that in many ways must go beyond wizards because they can apparate and disapparate out of rooms where that's not possible. They can? That's how Voldemort escapes. Fox apparated him out of there. Oh. And he just appears in the ministry and eats that killing curse. And they have power over death. They can't die. So this is obviously something that certainly someone like Voldemort would be, you know, at least revere this this power that phoenixes have. Suddenly I either want to um, be or at least have a phoenix. I don't think you want to be a bird. Being a bird is probably pretty boring. Well, I have a lot of cool powers. Birds can't read books. They can't do anything fun. What if that's a magical bird that can read and write? Maybe we're talking then. I'm not sure. <laughs> so Dumbledore puts Fox back on his, his perch. He's little baby Phoenix again. <laughs> uh, he tells Harry that your friends are fine. Harry is furious. How does Harry lash out? Um, He starts like breaking everything in Dumbledore's office. And he's like, let the kid do his thing. He says, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I've had enough. I don't. He says, this is part of being human. He says, I don't want to be human. I don't want to be anything. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of hurting. And he is. This is his breaking point. He has, if you look back at his journey up until this very moment, he's sort of shrugged off all the horrible, horrible things that have happened to him and just kind of kept going. But it's been five years of constant, near constant sorrow. He's like, okay, I am done with this. I think his upbringing at the Darsleys has given him a very thick skin for suffering. He spent his first 10 years suffering through being ignored and being mistreated. And once that evolves into his life being threatened constantly, I think for a very long time he's able to put up with it. And he can't put up with it anymore. He can't handle it. He's lost too much. And Dumbledore tells him it's not your fault that Sirius died. And he says... Dumbledore says, he says, you're not nearly as angry with me as, as you, you ought to be. As you should be. He blames himself. He, he, what does Dumbledore tell Harry about what he should have done as soon as he met Harry five years ago? He should have told him what, 
why Dumbledore tried to kill him. Why Voldemort? Ah, see, now you're doing it. It's why Voldemort tried to kill him, not Voldemort. <laughs> he says, "I should have. I've wanted to tell you. You you faced Voldemort, you know, four five years ago, and I didn't tell you. You faced him two years ago, and I didn't tell you. But I have to tell you now." what all of this is about, what your scar means. He was going to tell him um, in his third year, but then he decided, n- no, let's let the kid have a little bit more happiness in his life. I mean, yeah, and that was an act of compassion. He, he, he knew that Harry was destined for tragedy and sorrow. He was hoping that he could stretch out his at least his his enjoyment of having new friends, of having a new life, of finding out all this great stuff about his magical powers and everything uh, for as long as possible. But turns out that maybe it was to the detriment of his livelihood that he's, that he's unable, or his life, that he's unable to... That he, keeping this secret has put Harry in, perhaps in more danger. So he says, first about your scar. I have suspected for a while now that there was a two-way mental connection between you and Voldemort. And now I know for certain. Which is why he told Snape to do what? Teach Harry Occlumency. Why is that important if there is a two-way connection with Voldemort? Like basically a, a walkie-talkie in, in Harry's head to Voldemort. Because um, the the more that they went on... The more, um, the more Voldemort could get into Harry's head. What would be the advantage of knowing Occlumency if somebody was trying to get into your mind? He could start trying to force Dumbledore out, uh, Voldemort, out of his mind. Now I'm doing it. Now, here's another point where perhaps telling Harry why this was important might have make, made him take the Occlumency lessons more seriously. If they had said, hey, I think maybe Voldemort can see through your eyes sometimes and read your thoughts, this might help. Maybe he, if they had been honest with him, he would have actually done it. Why, though, did Snape have to do the lessons? Why couldn't Dumbledore? Oh, so that way Dumbledore, uh, uh, Voldemort um, couldn't get into Harry's thoughts and then see Dumbledore. Yeah, he was afraid that Voldemort would be able to spy on him if he was giving the lessons. And we now know that's probably true because at one point, uh, Harry saw some of Snape's memories. I believe before he even looked in the Pensieve, he saw those memories of Snape, you know, in his childhood with his mean father and all that. Yeah. So if Voldemort would have had access to Dumbledore's memories, they could have been in much more danger, especially because Dumbledore knows the prophecy. We're about to find out. So Dumbledore even mentions, I even saw stirs behind your eyes of a shadow of Voldemort on several occasions. As in, I could sense Voldemort was in the room when you were in the room, you know? So that is why Voldemort has been staying away from Harry for a year, but by not being honest, still made things worse. He was hoping that by not telling Harry, this is why I'm doing this, he wouldn't be letting Voldemort know 
you know, that, that they had that they had figured out what was going on. Dumbledore tells Harry that they figured out about this connection on the night that Mr. Weasley was attacked. What did Voldemort learn that night about their connection? I'm not sure. Well, Harry saw the real attack on Mr. Weasley. What idea did that give Voldemort that night? That gave Voldemort the idea that, um, that oh, Harry can see what I'm seeing sometimes. So maybe if I go into the Department of Mysteries and um, say that, um, that Sirius is being attacked, because I know Harry likes Sirius, he would come and try and get Sirius back. He realized that if Harry could see the real thoughts that he was having, perhaps he could see fake ones too. And so he concocted this this fake uh, kidnapping of Sirius because he's got to get this prophecy. We still don't know what the prophecy is, so we're getting to that. Harry still feels guilty. Dumbledore, Dumbledore tells him that Creature lied when he asked for Sirius. Do you remember why Creature lied? Sirius was in the house when Creature said, Master is gone and he won't be coming back. He lied because he was in service of two masters at once. Yeah, and he, Sirius had told him to get out. So that made him not have to punish himself. And he went to Narcissa Malfoy. And Originally Narcissa Lestrange. Right, and he and she's related to his former master, Bellatrix. No, Bellatrix's mom, Sirius's mom. They're all related. Anyway, <laughs> anyway Bellatrix and Narcissa are sisters, and they're cousins of Sirius. Creature is in service of Mrs. Black, Sirius's mom, who I guess she was a Lestrange. Yeah, she was a Black by marriage and a Lestrange by birth, I believe. So anyway. So he goes to her, and he's lost his loyalty to Harry, even though technically Harry was his master as Sirius's godson. He should have been in service of the House of Black, which now included Harry in a way. But he gets around that by being cast out by Sirius. Sirius was upstairs tending to Buckbeak, who Creature had wounded. Yeah, he, like, he, like, um, scratched up and hit Buckbeak. So Sirius saw, and he was trying to fix him up when, um, when Creature was downstairs. Harry could have avoided all of this if they had had phones. (laughs) Hey, uh, are you at your house? Yeah, I'm at my house. What's up? I'm taking care of Buckbeak. Okay, just making sure you're not at the ministry. No, I'm not. All right, that must have been a lie. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, see you later. Okay, bye. Yeah, we'll get pizza later. <laughs> so, so Creature made it, this possible. Creature is indirectly responsible for Sirius's death. Well, in another way later, we'll see that something also could have prevented basically this entire book. Lots of stuff could. Uh, Dumbledore tells... Harry not to be so hard on Creature because he was made nasty by his family, by the Black family. So, um, Snape also checked on Sirius after Harry gave that warning 
because the order has other secret methods of communicating with with each other. Again, cell phones would be helpful. <laughs> um, when Harry didn't come back from the forest, this is when things. This is when they got upset. They knew Sirius was fine, but Harry and Hermione and Umbridge went to the forest and then never returned. So now they think Harry's in danger, and because he said they've got Padfoot at the place where it's hidden, they all head to the Ministry. Again, it's kind of everyone's fault that Snape was in the wrong, or that Sirius was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, you know, sometimes that's just how things happen. Uh, Dumbledore, since he's so good at legitimacy, knew that Creature was lying, and he quote-unquote, persuaded Creature to tell him the full story. So now Dumbledore knows about the plan. He knows about the prophecy is the thing they're going after and the fake serious attack and all that. And that's when Dumbledore heads to the Ministry to have that battle that we just saw. Harry, at this point, thinks that Snape is also partially to blame. But Dumbledore explains that's not the case and you should... Trust Snape. He also explains why Harry had to live at the Dursleys. I've referenced this before on the podcast. I think I've actually come right out and said it in an early episode because I couldn't remember when it was revealed. But this is where it's revealed. Why was it so important for Harry to be safe at the Dursleys? Because even though they're muggles, the the um when Harry's at the Dursleys... Um, he has magical protection, even though the thir- the Dursleys are muggles. What caused that protection? I've forgotten this part. When Harry's mother sacrificed herself to save him, it created one half of a spell, basically a, a blood magic. Her blood was spilled instead of his. And so her blood is what protected him who else has her blood her her sister petunia so dumbledore then that created half of an enchantment around harry dumbledore finished it he turned it into a finished spell that said as long as harry is protected by the evans family blood then he may not be harmed by dumbledore and it was the strongest spell he could do It was, of all the protective charms that exist, this is the one that no matter what, better than having a secret keeper, better than having any sort of repelling charms or protective charms or hiding charms or invisibility or anything, this is the one that no matter what Voldemort did, he could never hurt Harry at the Dursleys' house. in In an imperfect world, Harry would stay in that house till he was dead. And he would always be fine. But that would be a terrible life. So Dumbledore also reveals that he is the one who sent Petunia that mysterious howler that reminded her, you know what you have to do. Remember that last year in the last book? Uh, That was in this book. Or it was... That was at the very beginning of this book. Okay, so the beginning of this book... But yeah, so that was the thing. Like, you can't abandon him. And you know why. Because as cruel as Petunia is, given the choice, of course she would not let Harry die. 
She hates him. She wants him to suffer. She blames him for her sister being dead. But she she doesn't want um she doesn't want him to die. She's not evil. She is as nasty as you can be without being evil, but she's not evil and she does not want to kill Harry. She is, she is not an evil dark wizard. Right. And so she knows that we must protect him or he will he will be killed. So that's that's where that secret mysterious howler came from. Um Dumbledore wanted like you said, wanted to tell Harry why Voldemort wants to kill you. Several times over the course of all of his various encounters with Voldemort. But now he's got to tell him the true reason. And it's things ba- are getting serious. It's based on the prophecy. He, even though the prophecy was smashed, and the only people that could retrieve it are the ones it was made about. It was made about Harry and, and Voldemort, so potentially they could have heard it. Why does Vol- Why does Dumbledore know the prophecy? Because they have to let somebody hear the prophecy for good. No. You don't remember? No. Dumbledore knows the prophecy because it was made to him. It was made to his face. He was there. Do you remember who made this prophecy? No. Oh, come on. We've been talking about this. (laughs) When the character, when the figure came out, the female figure with the magnified eyes. That's right. Who made the prophecy? Trelawney. And that explains why the worst divination teacher in the world is at Hogwarts. Do you understand now? Yes. Why is she there? Because she is the one who who knows the prophecy well, because she made it. Well, sort of. She is there because she made one right prophecy, and it was one of the most important prophecies ever made. And on the off chance that she ever makes another one, Dumbledore wants her close by. He does not care if no child at Hogwarts ever learns divination properly ever. He knows that the daughter of Cassandra the prophet, the greatest seer of all time, made one accurate, horrifying prophecy about the Dark Lord and Harry and all this, that maybe she'll do it again someday. And she did! Once she made another, I don't, Dumbledore didn't hear it, but she made another accurate prophecy. It's when she goes into her creepy voice mode and she makes uh, the occasional accurate prophecy. He says it was 16 years ago and he can recall it perfectly, but he takes out his pensive and he sort of pulls the prophecy out of it. Trelawney sort of rises out of the an image of her rises out of the pensive and she says, the one with the power to vanquish the dark Lord approaches born to those who have thrice defied him born as the seventh month dies and the dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have power. The dark Lord knows not and either must die at the hand of the other for neither can live while the other survives. Poof. Mm-hmm. And oh, and she also says the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. I guess 
She repeats that. Yeah, she says that twice. So this is one of the, first of all, it's essentially the reason for this entire story. This is why Harry Potter is famous. This is why his parents were killed. This is why what led to Voldemort's death. This is why that the book series was even ever made. It's it's the sort of the crux of the whole situation here. Um, Dumbledore explains that this prophecy means the person who has the only chance of conquering Voldemort was born at the end of July, nearly 16 years ago, to parents who had defied Voldemort three times. He tells him two people fit this description. Harry and who else? Neville Longbottom. Now, this is the part... This is maybe one of my favorite aspects of this story. Mine too. Because, and this, I don't know if you've realized this yet. Why was it Harry and not Neville? Because in the prophecy, it says um, the something like, um, the only one who can defeat Voldemort is the one he marks as his equal. That's true, but that's not quite what I'm getting at. Do you want me to explain? Yeah. The reason that this is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix and not Neville Longbottom and the Order of the Phoenix (laughs) is simply because Voldemort chose Harry. That's what I was saying. No, let me rephrase that. It could have, it would have been either of them. It's whichever one Voldemort picked. Voldemort chose his enemy and does not know that. That's what I was saying. Okay, then we're in agreement. Neither, neither of them had to be the, the one. Voldemort, it says, picked Harry because Neville was a pureblood. Neville's family was pure blood. So Voldemort assumes in his twisted mind that pure bloods are better. I'll pick the non-pure blood family, I guess. Well, depending on how on how you you choose it, um it could be just your parents or your grandparents and your parents. But yeah, or... because because Lily Evans was muggle-born, he decided they were not as good as the Longbottoms. But that means Voldemort chose his ultimate enemy. And Voldemort made the prophecy come true. He could have done nothing. Nothing at all. But he heard this prophecy and said, I got to find this boy. I got to kill him before he kills me. It killed him. It killed Voldemort and not the boy. All he had to do was walk away. And he would probably be in power ruling the world today. Yeah, this would probably eventually be Harry Potter dies. (laughs) This is what is called a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like me saying, Lily, you have a big test on Friday. You haven't studied. You're going to fail. Then you go do that test and you hear those words in your head. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. And then you fail. But it's just because of what I said, though. But you don't tell me 
And I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I only missed like two questions. So Voldemort hears this prophecy. This baby is going to kill you. I got to kill that baby. He, he didn't have to do anything. He created his own original destruction at the hands of this child. And like you said, he, he not only metaphorically, but physically marked Harry. He gave him a mark. He gave him a scar on his head. I have marked you as my equal. I have given you the power to vanquish me by choosing you in this prophecy. So the whole thing is basically avoidable and a mistake. And it shows you how trying to control the future and control the outcome of things that are out of your control can be worse than just taking things as they come. Trying to plan for the ultimate perfect situation like, it is is not possible. You just you, you can't do it. And uh, it's not like we wanted Voldemort to win, but uh, no. But he did this to himself. Like if Voldemort just walked away from all of it, Harry um would probably already be dead. It that most wizards that defied Voldemort would probably already be dead. Yes, yes. It also occurs to me, and I don't, I don't think they go into this in the books, but it occurs to me that Harry at some point has to be like, what? Like, that's it? All it of this is because, is because of a stupid prophecy? It's because of a stupid decision Voldemort made? Well, the, but the prophecy is what set it all in motion. So, anywho. That's a, that's a lot to take in, especially for a kid. Um, so Harry now knows that there is a two-way mental connection between him and Voldemort. That probably doesn't feel great. He knows why Voldemort needs to kill him. He also asks Dumbledore to explain a little bit more about the neither can live while the other survives. Dumbledore explains, yes, that means one of you will kill the other. And Harry's already done that, but he... But it, didn't, it didn't take. It didn't take his entire soul away. So it means going going forward, one of you will have to kill the other for good. You know, actually, Voldemort could become a ghost. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, there, there's some explanation as to who, who is and who is not going to be a ghost. Um... It's also interesting to point out here that it was a when the prophecy was made, it was when Voldemort was sort of interviewing teachers to be the new divination professor. He was at the Hogshead. Uh, Dumbledore. Dumbledore was at the Hogshead when he got this prophecy from Trelawney. Voldemort didn't hear it though. There was an eavesdropper at the Hogshead who only heard the first two lines. So he per- he heard the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seven month dies. The end. Dumble- Voldemort never heard the part about the Dark Mark will- the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, etc., etc. So he even had half the information he needed to make the choice he, sh- he could have made. Um, I don't know if we're ever told who that eavesdropper is. Uh, we're not. I bet we are eventually, but 
He also didn't hear the part about he has the power the Dark Lord knows not. Dumbledore explains what that power is. He says there's a room in the Department of Mysteries that stays locked all the time. It contains a force more powerful and wonderful and terrible than death, than human intelligence, than all the forces of nature. That's probably the thing that melted Harry's knife. Probably. He also says Harry possesses this power in such quantities, and Voldemort has none of it. What do you think that power is? We've said kind of it before, but I don't really remember what he says now. I don't I don't remember if Dumbledore explains it at all, but I think he's just saying this something about this is love because that's the thing that Harry has that Voldemort can never possess. Yes, that is what Love, friendship, empathy, compassion. He said love in the first book. So again, Voldemort doesn't really know what he's up against. He doesn't know that he's unlikely to win because Harry has, and we, and we've seen how this power defeated Voldemort in the past. For instance, uh, Voldemort could not touch him before he had Harry's blood because he was protected by his mother's love. Voldemort couldn't possess him when he thought about his love for Sirius. So this is a part that Voldemort probably is just not going to catch on to because he doesn't see the importance of positive human emotions. In fact, what makes Harry so special is how human he is. And Voldemort has gone out of his way to make himself inhuman. He tried to make himself a snake person. He has succeeded. He is a snake person. He doesn't have human features. He doesn't really have a human body. He has... Snake features and a body he created from bones and... I mean, he has a body that is shaped like a stick figure. <laughs> but well, I mean, he's got the form of a man, but he's not... He has made himself inhuman. Uh, chapter 38, The Second War Begins. This is what I was mentioning on the previous episode where I said from here on out, Harry's life gets a lot more complicated. Everything gets darker. Everything gets... More difficult. Uglier. They're literally going to go to war. Uh, the prophet comes out on Sunday, and what does it announce to the world? The Daily Prophet. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, what has just happened at the ministry that no one believes currently? Voldemort is back. So the prophet announces not only is Voldemort back, but Fudge confirms it. He also says that uh, who is who is no longer working for the ministry? Who used to guard Azkaban? The Dementors. They're gone. They are like are obviously they? in service of Voldemort and have been for some time. It's clear, right? Yeah. Ever since book, uh, the last one. Yeah. When the Dementors were trying to suck out Harry's soul with no orders from the Ministry. That was in the third book. Their third book, whatever. Yeah, that was Azkaban. So. The Dementors are gone. Dumbledore is reinstated as headmaster, and uh, he's put back on the International Confederation of Wizards. He's reinstated as chief warlock of the Wizengamot. Uh, everything's back to normal, except that 
now the wizarding world knows that Voldemort is back. And it also and they should have known it since they said it. It also goes into detail about how now that Harry has always been telling the same story, they're like, and despite all odds and all of the criticism, you know, Harry has remained uh, a true and steadfast beacon of honesty and in, in, in throughout all of these this whole year and all these events. And he's never wavered. He's always told us the truth, and now we should believe him. And so Harry is exonerated for everything he said that no one believed, right? Uh-huh. And he's considered to be honest and trustworthy at this point, and that he's been telling the truth this whole time. And like I said, they should have believed him since they said it. And Luna's father, Mr. Lovegood, I believe, is the one who, like, got this article into the prophet, which is interesting because, you know, he's not a fan of the prophet, but I think, I think even he realized it was more important to get it out to more people than just those who might read the quibbler. Ron, we find out is where, um, he's in the hospital wing because of his encounter with the brains. Yeah. So he was kind of missing for that last bit of action. So he's recovering in the hospital wing as Harry leaves Draco, Crab, and Goyle try to start a fight. They raise their wands, but who shows up to stop them? I believe it's it's one of the teachers. It was Snape. Oh. Now Snape wants to take house points from Gryffindor for this fight, but what does he realize? It wasn't Gryffindor's fault. <laughs> no. Don't guess if you don't know. He realizes Gryffindor has no house points. Oh. They have lost all of their points. He's like, oh. McGonagall shows up, and what does she do? Um, Snape says, I suppose we should. Then McGonagall fin- finishes his sentence and says, add some more. She awards 50 points to each of Harry's friends. I don't remember if it's just the three of them or if it's plus Luna and Neville, too. It's plus uh, it's plus Luna, Neville, and Ginny. So it's like 350 points or 450 points or something. Yeah, and it's then he wanted to take away 10 points. Which just shows you how silly the point system is if the head of a house can say, uh, my house gets more points, you know, whatever. I, I have to assume that there is a magical protection on the points system that judges the valid- validity of the points being awarded. Like, you couldn't just say, hey, 100 to Gryffindor. <laughs> you know, like, you've got to actually have a reason. Um, I'm hoping that maybe, like, Dumbledore oversees them or something. But, but one time during Quidditch match, when when Snape was was there, um, he, um, he gave points to Hufflepuff for no reason. I don't know. So, yeah, maybe it's a total... Bogus. Nonsense. Yeah, it's totally bogus and they shouldn't do it. Uh, Umbridge is also in the, what do you call it? Uh, hospital Mungo's. wing. Oh, is she at St. Mungo's or is she in the hospital wing? Oh, she's in the hospital wing. She's in the hospital right, wing. Right. Uh, what's her state of mind at this point? She's basically out um, unless you do a clicking noise with your tongue. And then she, she, make, she thinks that that sounds like horse hooves. And she's freaked out. Obviously, she has suffered some, some sort of uh, violence at the hands of these angry centaurs. 
But it was Dumbledore that saved her. Even after all she did, it was Dumbledore that saved her. So Harry, on the last day of school, he's packing his trunk and he sees a package that Sirius gave him and he opens it up. What's in that package? Yeah, he remembers this is the thing that he never opened that he gave him at the very beginning of the year at King's Cross. Why would you wait so long? This is ridiculous. I guess he, like, completely forgot about it for the whole year, which seems ridiculous. This is the thing you were talking about that could have stopped all the problems, right? What's in this package? Um, it's a small mirror, and, um, and he, uh, and Sirius, um, has a note on the back that explains what it does. Um, this is a mirror that if you say, um, the name of the other person who has the same exact mirror, they're connected. So if you say the name, then, um, you'll be able to see that person in the mirror instead of your own reflection and they can see you in the mirror and you can talk. So... If he so it's like FaceTime. They could have FaceTimed yeah. each other with these mirrors, and he could have been like, "Hey, buddy, are you, are you safe? Are you at the ministry? Are you are you being killed?" Yeah, it's 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 like, like no, I'm chilling. It, it's like a phone, a mirror phone. Why doesn't everyone have these? So he also mentions that he and James used to use these to great fun. Yeah, he um he could he, he could have like just gotten the mirror out and be like. Uh, hey, um, are you safe? Or are you like there's, being tortured or anything? There's two things wrong with this for me from a story standpoint. Number one, why didn't Sirius throughout the entire year say, hey, did you ever open that mirror? I've been trying to call you on it. Number two, this is just a kick in the teeth for the readers who are already down that Sirius died for a stupid mistake. Now we find out the mistake was even stupider. And that they could have communicated very easily this whole time, so, even under Umbridge's nose. So basically, um, they, um, he could have just opened that package up, se- seen the note, um, and then be like, oh, cool, I can, st- I can talk to Sirius without having to go through a million troubles. Yeah, I think, I think this is a little bit gratuitous in terms of, of, of kicking the readers when they're down and kicking Harry when he's down. Uh, on the part of of Rowling, but it's you know it's yeah. Right now he should be like, oh crap. Okay, so <laughs> Harry goes and looks for nearly headless Nick. Nick says he was expecting him. Why is that? Do you remember why they why he expects Harry to come looking for him? No. Nearly headless Nick tells Harry this happens whenever someone loses a family member. They come to me and they say, hey. Is my family member going to be a ghost, and can I see them again? Do you remember what Nick tells him? He says, when you die, you have a choice of either dying and studying the human life or um, becoming a ghost and living as a human once more, but not doing a lot of the things that humans do. And he says that almost all wizards will not choose to be a ghost. Nick was afraid of death and chose to stay, but because of that, he's neither here nor there. He'll never really be anywhere. He'll never be able to have a full life on Earth, and he'll never be able to have an afterlife wherever that may occur. So, like maybe it's heaven for wizards or something. So he doesn't know. He he knows now that he'll he'll not see Sirius again, at least not in this life. 
Harry sees Luna. Oh, and that that reminds me that during the fight when when Voldemort is possessing him and he does the voice in Harry, mm-hmm. um, 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 Harry thought to himself and said, "If you kill me, I'll be able to see Sirius again." Yeah, yeah. So that may have been true had he not decided to be a ghost, but. Harry sees Luna and says that she heard from Ginny that Sirius was his godfather. So they're sort of talking about who they have lost. lost. And he remembers that Luna can see Thestrals. Uh, Harry asks who Luna saw die. Why can you see Thestrals? What does she explain? She explains that her mother was the one who died. And how did her mother die? I don't remember. She said she liked to experiment with spells, and one of her spells went terribly wrong. So essentially, she killed herself on accident, which is a pretty depressing thing, especially if you have a young child. That'd be like somebody trying a a new cookie recipe, and the the oven explodes and kills them, you know? That's uh, pretty tragic. So she mentions that she's okay, she has her dad, it's not that bad, and that she'll get to see her mother again. She also mentions that when they were near the archway, she could also hear the voices. Harry could hear them. Luna could hear them. The other kids couldn't. Perhaps Neville would have had he been nearer. But I think it's the same as the Thestrals. You could hear the dead behind the veil if you've seen death, perhaps. Seem to be the same rules. It's a bond that they share. Harry has never, even, even still, even when they went to that battle at the ministry, he, he remembers thinking to himself... If I could have picked anyone in the DA, it wouldn't have been Ginny, Neville, and Luna. But this is sort of Harry's own dumb prejudices about some of his friends. He thinks Neville's kind of slow and and clumsy. He thinks that Ginny is too young, and he thinks that Luna is a goofball. But they've all proven themselves to be powerful witches and wizards. They're worthy. Harry's not seeing the full picture of who his friends are yet. And that's not uncommon when you're a teenager. You you might look at a very superficial um, quality of one, even someone you like. You might say, yeah, I like this person, but he's he's not the smartest or he's not the strongest. And then they surprise you because you're not really taking the time to truly understand who they are and what they're all about. Or he's not the best at the thing I need him to be good at. But you don't know that, especially at that age. It's difficult to get a full picture of yourself, much less anyone around you. So I think this may be the end of Harry underestimating his friends, especially these few. Uh, especially Jenny, who he thinks she's a little kid. He also They find out on the train home that she's dating... I think Dean Thomas now. <laughs> yeah. And that Cho has moved on and she is dating someone named Michael Corner. Yeah. And I think um, Harry realizes his romantic entanglement with Cho is over. Yeah. Ginny used to be dating Michael. Now she's switching to Dean Thomas and Ron is like, what? Yeah. He doesn't like to think of Ginny as being a, a growing up either. 
he wants to think of her as his little baby sister only. Also, it would be weird if she married Dean because they're friends, and he would be like, this is weird. Oh, you mean because Ron and Dean are friends? Yeah. Um, no, that's not that bad. You you know, you get older and, and you're... You might want someone you trust to marry your little sister. Makes things easier. He, I mean, he probably feels weird about it as a teenager, sure. But I, I would imagine it's it's not that bad from his perspective, especially later on. Um, Crab and Goyle, Draco, are waiting on Harry again to jump him since they missed the chance in the hall when Snape interfered. And they try and ambush him, but who is in the compartment? The compartment's full of DA members. Oh, yeah. And I think this is the point where they realize, oh, they kind of whipped us last time. Maybe we're not so terrifying as we thought we were. When they get to King's Cross Station, Moody, Tonkson, Lupin, Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, and Fred and George are there. I believe what's going to happen now is that as Fred and George have left school, they may be joining the order at this point. But what we're looking at here is the order of the Phoenix minus Dumbledore. (laughs) And the Dursleys are also there. What does the order have to say to the Dursleys? Also minus Hagrid. Sure. Um, so who has to say the Dursleys? Oh, before we finish, we should also mention that Hagrid was in hiding and that, he was looking for, uh, now that he's out of hiding, he's going to try and find a girlfriend for Grop. I certainly hope that means he's going to return Grop to the Giants. <laughs> but I don't remember what happens to Grop or if we even, even are ever told. So anyway, the Order is waiting for the Dursleys. What does the Order tell the Dursleys about what's going to happen to Harry this summer? You don't remember? No. They tell the Dursleys that you're going to treat him well and we're going to be checking in on you. And for Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, scared little muggles, you've got, you know, seven or eight big, tough, weird looking wizards. You got a a girl with, you know, 15 different color hair who can turn her face into an animal. Yeah. And and you got a guy with a robot leg and and one eye. You got uh, a guy all scratched up. You got one that can turn into a werewolf. Well, that's the guy that's all scratched up. So they're saying this is the end of you. Tormenting him. Yeah, this is the end of you treating him badly. And you're going to, you're going to give him a place that he feels at least safe and perhaps welcome, if not loved, you bunch of jerks. (laughs) Because I'm sure any one of them would gladly welcome Harry into their home over the summer. But that's just not possible. It's not. Uh, they can't protect him when they're not around, and and only being at the Dursleys' house can protect him. And now Harry knows that, and perhaps it makes it easier for Harry to return to the Dursleys, knowing why it's important for him to be there, and that it is a piece of his mother surviving that protects him at the Dursleys. Uh, it might ease the blow a little bit for him, and that's it. That is uh, the whole thing. Now, I I was talking to my wife, your mom, uh, about how you reacted when Sirius died. Tell me just briefly what you thought was going on when that happened. 
Well. Did you think it was real? I'm not very sure. At first, um, I was like, okay, this is called the death chamber, but um, they could hear voices inside the veil. So does that mean that they have to make other wizards go in there and kill them? Or do they just automatically die when they're gone? Yeah, she told me that you were looking for ways that Sirius could still be alive for the next couple of chapters. As in, perhaps the same thing Harry was going through before Remus said, no, it's over, he's gone. And I just kind of wanted to get an idea of, of how this book is different to you because of what happened to Sirius. Do you understand what I mean? Uh, yeah. So how is it different? Oh, um, well, it's different for me. I mean, I don't feel as much pain as Harry, but. Well, sure. It's a fictional character and also not your family. Um, but as we've gone on with the books, um, I, um, I've learned to like Sirius. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's a good man. Mm-hmm. So, I like I said, I don't feel as much pain as Harry, but I'm still sad that he died. Yeah, it sucks. Um, and it's not like it, it's it's different than Cedric, right? Right, because they were friends. They were they they knew each other. Well, it's not just that. It's not you and Cedric weren't friends. This is what happens with good books. You and Sirius were friends. You and Cedric weren't. It's it's like I if I spent your whole life telling you a story of a real person that I really knew and I told you the things that person did and how kind they were, how loving they were and what they meant to me. The emotions you would develop for that person would be real, even though you never met them. And when you did meet them, you would feel as if you already knew them, right? Yeah. This is the same thing. When a story is well told, you, the emotions you develop for a fictional character, if it's a well-crafted fictional character, and if the story is, is quality, they're real emotions. This is this is your friend that died. This is a person that you knew who was a part of your life, however briefly. And even though this is a, a crazy story about witches and wizards and evil and magic and monsters, the character of Sirius was a was fully formed in your mind and in my mind and everyone that read this. And so the purpose of doing that, unfortunately, is that when an author goes to that much trouble to make someone real, then killing them is also equally as real. You see what I mean? Yes, that reminds me of two things that have happened to me. Okay. Um, one time... Um, 
um, there's this author, Barbara Park. She, um, she writes the Junie B. Jones series. Uh Um, she died last year and I like her books. So now I'm sad that there won't be any new ones because I'd almost read all, all of them. So I was sad that one, um, one of my favorite authors died and two, um, just, just that she died in general. Yeah, it's it's even different when it's a real person. Certainly, I mean, it's it, it certainly have would have more impact when the person was actually alive. Um, but it also means an end. If if it's someone that makes art that you enjoy, then it means an end to that art, and that is also has its own kind of sadness. So again, the reason I was telling you in the last podcast that this is the the beginning of a shift in the Harry Potter series is that the death of Cedric was sad, but the death of Sirius was devastating. And I'm not saying that it's all going to be death and doom and gloom from here on out, but the reason Harry had his breakdown in Dumbledore's office is because this is how he's reacting. My life has been difficult, but this is the, this is the point I can't make it past and keep my composure. And I think it's supposed to be the same way for the reader where you're supposed to realize this is the end of the child part of this story. And now we are moving into the adult part of this story. The story is growing up. And for kids who were reading this when it came out, they were growing up with the books because they were only coming out every few years. So, even kids that grew up with the movies, the movies were coming out once a year. So as Harry got a year older, you got a year older. You're digesting all of this stuff very quickly. And so we are getting into the more serious part of the book because of Sirius. Um, also, that reminds me of another thing. I was thinking a few days ago um, what um, when we read the part about Sirius dying, that reminded me th- um, that I we've been reading the books for quite some time now, and I've learned to like um, mo- most of the characters that come up mainly, and um, um, and if I met them in person, uh-huh. then that would make then that would be ext- that would be extraordinary for me to have that experience. Not only because they're famous movie characters, but also because they're some of my favorites because they act out really well and they do in the books too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's sort of the same thing I was talking about with, in terms of Sirius is that you, you develop a true affection for these characters. So as they experience highs, you experience highs and as they experience lows, you experience lows and even though they don't exist, you, you root for them to win and you root for them to find happiness. And that's how, you know, it's a good story. That's how you know that it's well-written and that, that the author took time to give the characters, uh, real points for you to anchor onto in their, in their character, in their emotions and in their actions and things that you can draw parallels to your own life. Like you're saying now. So, uh, I will also say the next thing we're going to do is is watch this movie. 
Uh, I know mommy disagrees with me. She likes number three the best. I think number four is fun, but more of an action movie than a character story. Uh, starting with the fifth and sixth movies, these are probably my favorites going through towards the end. If you could take movies uh, five through eight as one thing, that's my favorite part of this whole uh, cinematic series, at least. I think that that movie five is particularly excellent. And uh, they handle all this stuff that we've talked about really well, even though it's highly condensed because there isn't room for all of it. So that is it. Uh, We'll finish up. uh, Well, you're going to start reading book six, probably tonight, which is called what? Do you know? It's called The Half-Blood Prince. The Half-Blood Prince. No idea who that is. Maybe we'll find out. And then we will, uh, as you get through the first handful of chapters, we'll record another episode and release it. Yes. I've got an idea who the Half-Blood Prince might be. Who do you think it is? Um, it it might be um, Voldemort, um, but there are two re- there There's... Um, there's one reason why I might disagree with that. Okay. I read the back of the book, um, like the back cover, uh-huh. where it tells you about the book uh-huh. so in the short way. Um, and it said that the Half-Blood Prince seemingly helped Harry and his friends. So that's why I disagree with it. Because Voldemort, he's not the masks kind of dude that um, goes around pretending to be somebody else. Well, do you remember when he was a ghost living in a book? Eh, that's true. He did try to help some of Harry's friends at first. He seemed like he was going to. That's sort of true. That's the, the first part of deception is a lie. He's a liar, and so he has to do the lie in order to get what he wants. Also, um, uh, I was talking to my mom, and I asked her... Um, if the Half-Blood Prince was someone we knew or someone we didn't. What'd she say? She said that it was someone that we already knew. Do you want another clue? Sure. The only reason I'll give you this clue is because it's mentioned, I mean, you'll know this almost immediately in the book. The Half-Blood Prince was a student at Hogwarts. Was? Yes. Okay. What does that do to your theory? Um. Was Voldemort a student at Hogwarts? Yes. Hmm, maybe it's him then. I don't know. <laughs> so the the very last thing I, I, you just made me remember, the only other thing about this book that I wanted to point out that I thought was really, really important is when Dumbledore is dueling Voldemort, he refers to him as Tom. Do you know why he refers to him as Tom and why that's important? He refers to him as Tom because Tom, um, because Tom Marvolo Riddle was his, was the name that they decided on when he when he was a kid. But do you know why it's important that Volt that Dumbledore call him Tom instead of Voldemort? No. Voldemort is the name he chose to make people afraid of him. Oh, he, so Dumbledore he, is saying, "You're I, Tom, and I'm not afraid of you." I knew you when you were Tom. I know you now, and I'm not afraid of you. Um, I like sort of. I don't care if you've chosen chosen a name that makes everyone afraid of you. A name doesn't change anything. Correct. Yeah, he's saying I know what you really are, 
and I'm not afraid of you, and I will not do you the courtesy of using your chosen name that's designed to invoke fear in people. I'm going to call you by what you want to forget. I want, I'm going to call you as the thing that you really are that you try to pretend you never were, which is just a man. I'm going to try and pretend that that you're the thing... Uh, You've been pretending for quite some time that you're something that you're not. You are Tom Mar- Marvolo Riddle, and I'm going to stick to that. He's just a scared boy. You're a scared boy who had a hard life, and you made all the wrong choices. And so that's what he's trying to remind him with with that simple one word. So that just shows you Dumbledore is a... Uh, he's a fierce man. He's a smart guy. Um, so now we're going to be done. That's the end. <laughs> uh, if you enjoy Potter and Daughter, please do leave us a review on your podcast reviewing platform of choice. Personally, I like iTunes. I'd love to see some more positive reviews there that would help more people find the podcast. Take 30 seconds of your time and leave a review. Why not? Sounds like a fun way to spend a half a minute. If you would like to support the endeavors of myself in making more podcasts and comics and art and things as my job, check out patreon.com slash hijinks and sue h-i-j-i-n-k-s-e-n-s-u-e for potter and daughter i am joel watson and i'm lily watson i'm gonna go ahead and say it great episode great 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 episode that's too many high fives let's do, <laughs> just, let's do just one okay bye this book is so awesome